Hey guys, welcome to Dark Vale. We're your hosts, John and Tori. Dark Vale is a podcast that discusses the darker side of life. We are not professionals on any of the topics we discuss. We do as much research as we can, and we do try to be as accurate as possible. However, no one is perfect, and neither are we. Because we're discussing the darker side of things, this podcast is best listened to by a mature audience. So sit back and get ready to podcast and chill! Hey guys, welcome to Dark Vale. My name is John. And my name is Tori. I think this is episode 26. I have no clue at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So today we're going to talk about Kane's jawbone. Kane's jawbone? What is that? You never heard of it? No. (laughs) (laughs) I never heard of it either until a little while ago. And I thought it was interesting, so we'll be talking about that. And if we have time, we'll get on to a different topic. Um, And then we'll be done and we'll get back to the snuggling and the... No, I, I got nothing. Video games for the rest of the night. No. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways. So. Okay. So there was a man called Edward Powis Powis Mathers. And he was an author. And he was also a crossword puzzle writer for The Observer. Uh, do you know what The Observer is? Uh, I would assume it's some sort of newspaper? Yeah. It's a, news, it's a British newspaper, and it dates back to 1791, and it still exists. Oh, wow. And um, it comes out on Sundays, and it's the world world's oldest Sunday newspaper. He was a crossword puzzle writer, which is cool, right? Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to call him Mathers. That's his last name. Mathers wrote a very interesting book. And when I heard about this, I got sucked right into the story. This book is called Cain's Jawbone. And, um, this book was wrote in 1934, which is 86 years ago, I believe. Oh, wow. So, before going too deep into the actual book, um, I will say that the name of the book is generally believed to reference um, Cain from the Bible. Do you are you familiar? 
uh, I've heard of it before. Is Cain evil? Uh, not evil, but Cain murdered his brother Abel, and it's considered to have been like the first murder. Oh, okay. And Cain and Abel were the children of, according to the Bible, Adam and Eve. Oh, okay. Yes. I did not know that. And so Cain comes from that. And it's believed that Jawbone came from the world's first uh, murder weapon, which is the Jawbone of a donkey. Oh, crazy. So the Bible references, I believe in other places, that they've used the Jawbone of a donkey as a weapon. But it, from what I could find, it doesn't actually say in the Bible or necessarily say for sure that Cain killed Abel with the jawbone of a donkey, but I just thought that was really interesting too. Yeah. So. That is interesting. You just file it into a shiv and then shank them? I, I don't know, honey. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Um, so, basically, the name of the book is in reference to the world's first murder, basically. Yeah. I guess. Um, so, so this book is a murder mystery slash puzzle, okay? Okay. It's a puzzle book. Interesting. And it was created, it was published in 1934, and the book has been described as, and I quote, a nearly impossible mystery novel. The book is reportedly, well, I don't know why I wrote the word reportedly. The book is 100 pages. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually printed on cards so that the book can be rearranged. Oh, neat. Because the book comes out of order. And the reader is supposed to rearrange the pages and solve the murders that are depicted in the book. Um, the pages have very small hints of clues. So you should be able to figure out through reading the pages um, this puzzle. <clears throat> and Excuse me. there are six different murders in this book. And you have to solve those, and you have to figure out the names of the murderers and their victims. And then you have to rearrange the book um, the way the pages were meant to be. Uh, basically, if you rearrange it right, then you have solved it, basically. Yeah. Right? Um, and with the way the book comes, apparently... The way the book is, like, it comes all mixed up. Apparently, the way it actually comes right out of the box or whatever, yep. it makes very little sense. So, I learned while I was researching this that there are over 32 million combos that can be rearranged. Jeez. Um, yeah. There is only one correct order for it to be right, though. It just can't <laughs> be kind of right. It's a perfectly solvable puzzle with only one answer. 
crazy. That's and, very interesting. Yeah. And the answer is kept secret so that it can't be Googled or looked up. And you cannot find the answer for it cool. unless you figure it out yourself. Um, so for the longest time, only two people in the last 86 years solved this puzzle. Oh, wow. Yeah. Two people in the 1930s, Mr. S. Sidney Turner and Mr. W. S. Kennedy. They won a little bit of money for solving the book. And I think it was something like 25 pounds back then that they won. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it is believed that the answer to the puzzle was then lost. Oh. And I'm not sure if the answer was lost for all that time or if people just weren't trying to solve it or hadn't solved it. I don't know if it was just that maybe a combo of both of those. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, Shandy Hall, which is a writer's house museum in England and a writer's house museum is, it's like a prominent author. It's like his house oh. and he, the, He's dead now, yeah. but they turned the house into kind of a literary uh, museum that people can check out books and famous books and other stuff. Um, so Shandy Hall, which is a writer's house in England, is operated by the Lawrence Stern Trust. It sounds like very fish, very official, fancy English things, right? Yeah. Um, and Lawrence Stern was an author and clergyman, and that was his house. So basically, like, maybe, like, his estate or his trust is running this museum. Okay? Yep. Stay with me. <laughs> um, they received a donation. This was only a couple of years ago from now, and we're in 2020. Yep. Um, they received a donation of Mr. Mather's puzzle book. And he actually made other puzzle works. But he got some of the, they got some of the puzzle works and the puzzle book, including Kane's Jawbone. The curator of Shandy Hall, so the guy that's running that museum, his name is Patrick Wildgust. And he set out to get the answer to the puzzle. Uh, and he even contacted the Guardian newspaper, which is a very famous British newspaper as well, to try to get assistance in obtaining the answer. Because even they didn't have the answer when they got the book. Yeah. Um, he did get the solution to Kane's Jawbone. And he teamed up with the book pub publisher called Unbound. And they actually reissued Kane's Jawbone in the fall of 2019. So only about a year ago, right? Oh, sweet. <clears throat> so the introduction to this book says, and I quote, Kane's Jawbone, the bold narrative of a series of tragic happenings during a, six, a period of six months in a recent year, has met with an accident which, which seems to be unique in the history of the novelette. The pages have been printed in an entirely haphazard and incorrect order, a fact which reflects little credit on anybody. The author assures his readers, however, that while it is now too late for him to remedy the order of the pages, it is quite possible for them 
should they care to take the trouble to reorder them correctly for themselves. Before they attempt to do this, they may care to be assured that there is an inevitable order, the one in which the pages were written, and that, while the narrator's mind may flit occasionally backwards and forwards in the modern manner, the narrative marches on, relentlessly, unequivocally, from the first page to the last. That even sounds, like, I feel like that's supposed to be, uh, like, a small hint or guide of what you're supposed to do. Yeah. That sounds like a puzzle to me, too. <clears throat> yeah, it does. That sounds really <clears throat> interesting, though. I think that'd be a really neat book. Yeah. And I tried looking up the book to buy it, and I couldn't find any that were available. Oh, just sold out, or it? That's what it says. Yeah. I don't know if they've, I don't know if they only reissued it for a certain length of time, and they weren't gonna buy anymore, but or sell anymore. But yeah, okay. So, so after it was reissued in 2019, there was one other person. Sorry, guys, if you hear something, that's our cat, <laughs> one of our cats. So after it was reissued in 2019, one person actually solved it again. And it was for the first time since the 1930s. And he is British comedian and writer called John Finnamore. And he's... I, I never heard of him, but when I looked him up, it looked like he had lots of work under his belt. So I feel like he is famous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never heard of him either, but that doesn't, yeah, maybe he's more famous in Britain in, yeah, Britain. Yeah. Cause that is where he's from. Um, so I thought it was really funny. The quote that he told the guardian newspaper about this. So he told the guardian <clears throat> and I quote, the first time I opened the box, I swiftly concluded that it was way out of my leak. And the only way I'd even have a shot at it is if I is a shot at it was if I were for some bizarre reason trapped inside my home for months on end <laughs> with nowhere to go and no one to see. Unfortunately, the universe heard me. So when the coronavirus pandemic hit, he actually ended up solving the puzzle during his lockdown. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> um, he also said in the same article, it took me about four months, not continuously, but I had it spread out on the spare bed and every so often I'd potter in, stare at it till my forehead bled, spend <laughs> an hour online researching the history of Shrewsbury Prison or something, swap three cards, move one back, and potter off again. How anyone solved this before the internet, I cannot even begin to imagine. Finnamore was the guy who solved it recently. He has sworn to keep the answer to this cool puzzle safe and won't give it away. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So if we could find a copy of it, I think we should try to solve the puzzle. Oh, yeah. I'd like to try that. I think that'd be fun. <coughs> Excuse me. Because I know you and I have talked about doing other puzzles and stuff. Yep. And I think doing those, like, I don't know what they're called. But you can order them. And they're, like, murder mystery kits. 
the oh, okay. murder mystery games. Yep. Those too. But this would be really cool because I, part of the reason why it's so neat to me is that the book was made in 1934 and only three people have ever solved it. Yeah. And that's really neat. That is really neat. And when you get the, um, when you think you have the solution, you have to send it in in a certain format. You got you have to send it to that Shandy Hall museum, and they're the ones that officially like check it to see if you have it right. Yeah. But I don't know that you must be able to do it ongoing because yeah. I know when they reissued it, I read that just like when the book was originally issued, uh, they got like twenty five pounds if they solved it. Yeah. When they reissued reissued it this time. I think the prize was a thousand pounds, but they only had it open as a contest for a year. So it's already over. Oh. The contest for money. Yeah. Yeah. But I just thought that was. It'd still be really cool. Like even if you didn't get anything for it, but just. You solved the puzzle? Yeah. Like maybe you get like a little certificate that says you solved it. Like that'd be really cool too. Yeah. That's neat. All right, so my next one that I have here is um, the story of the murder of Amber Hagerman. Does that name sound familiar? No, I don't think so. This is the little girl who the Amber Alert is named after. Oh. Yeah. I gotcha. And I thought that was a good story to cover because um, it's one of those times where something bad happened and it caused some real change in not only the U.S., but really all over the world. Yeah. And... Yeah, I would say that pretty much everybody knows what an Amber Alert is. Yeah. So, excuse me. I just, I've started this out by saying, what is an Amber Alert? Well, an Amber Alert is, the Amber Alert system provides the public with immediate and up-to-date information about a child abduction via widespread media broadcasts on TV, radio, and wireless devices, and solicits the public's assistance with the safe, and swift return of an abducted child. So Amber Alerts can only be for children. Yeah. And um, so the goal of an Amber Alert is to involve as many community members as possible in the search for an abducted child, each community member becoming the eyes and ears of law enforcement. So the Amber Alert was designed because of the Amber Hagerman case, and this happened in Texas in the USA. Yep. And like I said, um, it really caused programs like that to be established in other countries too. And in Canada, um, the first Amber Alert program was actually launched province-wide in Alberta, which is where we live. So out of all the provinces, the first one to follow suit and set it up was in Alberta. Oh, wicked. That's cool. 
but we will get back to a little bit more information about what the Amber Alert is uh, in a few seconds here. So this is this this is what happened in order for the Amber Alerts to be created. So this is the story that this is what spawned the creation of Amber Alert. So on January 13th, 1996, a nine-year-old girl named Amber and her five-year-old brother, Ricky, were riding their bikes in an abandoned parking lot in Arlington, Texas. Her five-year-old brother got nervous about being where they were because they were not allowed to be as far away from home as that parking lot that they were driving their bikes in. Yep. And he actually went back and he left Amber there. And this was... I read the name of what kind of store it was, but it didn't sound familiar. So it was either a local store to just to that town or it was an American chain that I'd never heard of. Okay. But basically from what I read, there was lots of kids that rode their bikes there because it was an abandoned parking lot. Yeah. It's some nice pavement to be riding around. Yeah, so exactly. I kind of feel like there wasn't, it wasn't uncommon for kids to go there. So after her little brother left, she just continued to ride around because she didn't want to go home because that was fun, right? Yeah. And a black truck pulled up and a man abducted her. So there was a witness that actually saw this take place. His name was Jimmy Kevill. And he said that he heard her scream and kick as the abduction was happening. Kevill said the man who abducted her was either white or Hispanic and was between 25 to 40 years old and had a medium build and was also under six feet tall. The crazy thing about this was, this isn't the crazy thing, but one of the crazy things about this was yeah <clears throat> it it had only taken eight minutes after her brother left for her to get abducted oh wow it was that fast jeez um so it had only taken eight minutes for amber to be taken after her brother had rode home kevil called the police very very soon after it happened and reported this kidnapping and more than 50 different officers and agents and other people ended up looking for her. So, unfortunately, Amber was found four days after this happened in a creek near an apartment complex that was only minutes away from that abandoned parking lot and also her own home, right? Oh, jeez. Um, her throat had been cut. Oh, and Amber was found naked except for one single sock. Oh, man. Yeah, it's really sad. There had been a very large... Oh, this is a quote from um, Mike Simmons, the, investig the investigative sergeant who was in charge of Amber's case at the Arlington Police Department. Uh, and I quote, There had been a large, a very large storm and Amber was not only in water, but in running water in a bed, in a creek bed, 
So there had been a tremendous amount of water flow over her body, which obviously made it hard in terms of trace evidence. It was reported in an article from 2019 that I actually have listed in the show notes. Um, that there was evidence that Amber was actually kept alive for two days and that she was beaten and sexually assaulted before she was murdered. Oh, Jesus. So, I guess there was at least that much evidence, but nothing conclusive to like maybe like DNA or anything yeah. else, right? And the real shame about it all of it is that this murder has never been solved ever. oh really yeah wow and um <clears throat> i just wanted to talk a bit about this because this was in 1996 that this happened right yeah and i don't know how long it took for the united states to get a um an Amber Alert system up and running. I know where we live in Alberta, it was up by December 2002. So that was like six years later. Yeah. I just find it kind of crazy to think of that it took till, till 2002, at, at least until where we live, yeah. to have some sort of system like that. Yeah, that is crazy. Because it's been around so long now. Um, it just seems like it's always been there. But, yeah, it's it's crazy to think that that happened. And it still took six years for a system to get put into place here. Yeah, but more what I'm saying is I would think that something like that should have been established years before. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like other kids had been abducted yeah and this is the thing that sparked it to happen which i'm grateful for that we now have the system but in my eyes and my way of thinking a system like that <clears throat> you would think would have been created in the 70s the yeah. 80s like yeah for sure like something anyway right yeah. And I mean, I don't know exactly how they used to look for kids. I mean, I know in the 80s, I, th I believe it was in the 80s, uh, they used to put missing children on milk cartons. Yeah. I remember growing up, uh, when I went to like the dentist or something, I would read those little books. I don't know what they're called. Highlights or something. Yeah. And I would always see like missing children on the back or there's like bulletin boards with missing kids. Yeah. I even remember... Um, like back, I, I want to think that even Walmart, you used to be able to walk into Walmart and there was a big bulletin yeah. board and it had like missing persons and, and that, and it wasn't limited to just children, but it was just people like missing people that have been missing for a long time. Some of them had like the age enhanced photo of what they would look like now. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> And I'm sure they still have those things too, because everything helps, right? Yeah. But 
back then that would have been a large portion of what helped their eff their effort yeah physically getting pictures up and physically going out and talking to people and i well the news for sure would help too right yeah yeah for sure but then you would just be kind of stuck with the people that happen to watch the news or people that watched it and told someone else about it like the word probably wouldn't be able to spread that fast because I think in child abductions, um, I think most children are hurt or killed within the first like two or three hours of an abduction. Generally. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a lot shorter than I thought. I thought you were going to say like 24 to 48 hours. That's crazy. Yeah. I may be wrong on that, but I absolutely heard or read that somewhere. So, um, yeah, and I also just want to mention, like, for all of our childhood, there was no Amber Alert system. No. Like. I, yeah, I definitely, uh, yeah. I don't even remember... Well, they did, yeah. It was just the news that I remember growing up. Maybe the milk carton thing. I can't remember if I ever seen that. I don't know if I seen a kid on a milk carton, like, at my house. Yeah. But I know it came out in the 80s or the 70s. And I know it was a thing. Like, we yeah. knew about it. We knew that missing kids go on milk cartons. I don't know if I ever saw one, keep, like, where I live, but... Yeah, me neither. But yeah, I definitely remember the boards, like the bulletin boards or whatever, and then the news, I guess. That was it. Yeah. If you think about it, putting a missing person's face on a milk carton is very smart because it's an item most people grab every morning and yeah. look at, and you've got the the picture in your head. Yeah. That was really clever. That is really clever. Yeah, because you'd see it every time you go and have a glass of milk or a bowl of cereal or what have you. You're seeing that picture all over again. Yeah, or even just open up the fridge and see it. Yeah, like... yeah, that is really smart, actually. The more I think about that, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, so, like, my son was born in 2003. So he would have, had he needed it, the Amber Alert system would have been in place for him so yeah. but all the kids before that they would have been using different systems i am interested in the statistics to see um <clears throat> how many kids were recovered before amber alert and after yeah um amber alert helps with a lot of different things like it's not just people getting or kids getting abducted by strangers i know from where we live because we get Amber Alerts here, right? Yeah. I know that... <clears throat> Excuse me. I know that oftentimes it's when parents are separating or something and there's a dispute and one parent is taking a, their kids. Yeah. Right? Yep. I, I know that it, that's been the reason for quite a few Amber Alerts that I've seen. Yeah. I'd say that's been what most of ours have been is where one of the parents is just scooped up the kid and taken off yeah the area we live in 
I think we're fairly lucky because I think a lot of the Amber Alerts end up with the child being located unharmed. Yeah. And I know even, I don't know what it's called, but when you're driving on the highway, there's those banners, those uh, digital banners. Oh, yeah. Those even have am like a visual Amber Alert. Yeah. I've seen, the, yeah, the ones that go over top of the highway. Yeah, I've seen those and I th things on them. Sorry, honey. No, no. And I think that's really smart too, because some might see that or think about that and be like, why? I just got an Amber Alert on my phone. Like, why do that? Because it, like, if you kidnap a kid, you're likely driving, right? Yeah. And if you're trying to haul ass out of a city or go from one place to another, um, you might be out there. Like the odds that the bad person who's taken the child is out there. So that just is another refresher for the general public to be like, there's a kid missing. We should be on, be on alert. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially if they put the description of the vehicle and you're already on the highway and you're seeing a bunch of vehicles, like you're more likely, I know if I saw that, I'd be like scanning the vehicles that I'm seeing on the highway and being like, yeah, no, that's not, that does, that's not, no. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So yeah, that's a great idea that they do that too. Yeah. Um, so this is a quote taken from, um, an article titled the abduction and murder of Amber Hagerman posted on June 5th, 2019 by Elise, Haley, a.k.a. Crime Shark. And I quote, Amber Hagerman is the namesake for what is known as an Amber Alert. After her death, a Fort Worth mother named Diane Simone called a local radio station wondering why broadcasters could send out severe weather alerts but didn't send out alerts for missing or, abduct or abducted children. The Amber Alert system was established based on this idea, according to their website. Um, so, uh, oh, sorry, according to their website, <laughs> as of 20, April 2019, a total of 957 children have been successfully recovered through the Amber Alert system. And I don't know if that's for taxes, or if that's for some area of the United States. Yeah. But it wouldn't be, it definitely wouldn't be for all Amber Alert systems. Yeah. So, because it, the numbers are far higher for children. But let's say that's Texas, right? Because that's where this was established. Yeah. Um, 957 children successfully recovered through the Amber Alert system. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, like I said, I would be interested to, I, I, I don't know how you'd be able to really um, figure out the statistics for how many previous to Amber Alert were not being found. Because um, I think there's too many variables, right? Yeah. <clears throat> but that's still really neat to me and i think that has definitely saved lives and oh, saved sure. children absolutely 
Um, so as I said earlier, there were also Amber Alerts and other such systems created because of Amber Hagerman's case in other countries. We live in Canada and we have Amber Alerts also, but in some other provinces and some other countries, they're not called Amber Alerts, but they're the same idea. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so this is just some other information that people might find a bit dry about Amber Alert, but I felt like instead of telling stories about, telling crime stories about sad things that happen and then um, just saying, you know, that's really sad, um, that person didn't deserve that, I thought I'd tell a story about something sad that happened and some real great social changes come from it. Yeah. And I don't know if social change is the right word, but um, it caused some real change in some structured areas of many communities. And I feel like giving some information about what the Amber Alert system really does um, would be kind of like a crowning moment for a victory for something so sad and heinous, right? Yeah. So this is this is based on the Canadian perspective because we are Canadians. Yeah. But I can't see it being too different in other places. Um, so in Canada, Amber Alert programs are provin provincially operated. While most provinces have Amber Alert committees, only law enforcement can issue an Amber Alert. Amber Alerts are sent out through the Alert Ready Emergency Alert System, reaching Canadians through a number of mediums, like I said, cell phone, television, radio. Um, criteria for issuing an Amber Alert may vary from province to province, but the basic requirements include um, the child is under the age of 18, is believed there has to be a belief that the child has been abducted there has to be a belief that the child is in grave danger uh, information is available that may help locate the child and or the abductor so when you get the amber alert you also get a description of the child the subs the suspect or the vehicle driven um, the amber alert also um, part of the criteria is it has to be issued within a reasonable amount of time from the moment of the abduction. So their goal is to get all the information in a neat little package and send it out to everybody as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Excuse is me. Issuing an Amber Alert can be a very important tool in helping to locate a child and a suspect. It is important to remember, however, that these alerts are not appropriate in every circumstance and their continued effectiveness depends on ensuring that they are only used in cases that meet the, uh, the criteria outlined above and where time is of the essence. So, um, I'm not sure they'd issue an Amber Alert if like a 17-year-old said they were running away from home and you didn't see them for like 12 hours. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think there's 
there's got to be probable thought that there could be harm done, I think, as part of it. Yeah. But I was just thinking, too, um, it just dawned on me that I remember the emergency broadcast system oh, that yeah. we have in Canada. Yeah. And the whenever it came on, it used to scare the hell out of me as a kid. Um because they'd always do those tests. Yeah. This is a test. And uh, whatever that siren or horn was that yeah. always made the sound. But I remember, I'm sure I can remember things about abducted kids running across the screen on that thing before as well. So I was just thinking that might have been one other thing they used back in the... Late eighty, late eighties uh, and nineties before the Amber Alert. Yeah, uh, the, I have a vague recollection of words coming on a screen too about that. Hmm. So that brings me to ask you: Have you? I'm not going to ask you if you've ever been abducted because <laughs> clearly you haven't. Because no. I would, I would know that about you by now. But have you ever gone missing for a time or got lost or something? Or, like, even in a store, or... Um, well, when I was really, really small, I got lost, sort of, in Parkland Mall, and... What's Parkland Mall, honey? Well, Parkland Mall is just a shopping center with a bunch of stores in it that here in, in Red Deer, I guess, not here in Penhold, but... In Red Deer, the closest city to us um, that I grew up in. And anyway, um, I just remember there was a ton of people. And one minute my parents were beside me and the next minute I had no idea. Like, they all of a sudden just blended in with everybody else oh, walking yeah. around. And being scared and crying and some other adult was asking me where my parents were and I was saying I don't know and then very shortly after my parents came up and I was like oh there they are how old would you have been oh I want to say that I would have been Oh, man. I don't know. Six years old? Like, I was very, very, very young. But that's about the closest I've ever come to being lost or really anything like that. So that's... It's pretty minor. <laughs> yeah. They were still in the general vicinity of me. I just lost sight of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm -hmm. How about yourself? Um... Well, I grew up, like, in the woods, yeah. and we had a nearby town that we were in, and and in this town, um, I don't remember where we were, but I definitely left where we were, all by myself. Yeah. But I, I definitely put my coat on and left, and um, started walking down the streets and stuff and like I said like I grew up in a place so rural that it's just gravel roads for 40 minutes 
off the highway to get where I lived, right? Like, yeah. um, it's like maybe not 40 minutes, but (laughs) it's gravel roads where I live and it's like turn left at the tree and then turn at the big rock and then go past those two cows. Like that's the directions, right? Look for the red barn. Yeah. And so I had no clue about this town at all. It's not like I was like, oh, my grandma lives down the street. No, I, we went there for groceries sometimes. I, I don't even know what the grocery store is. Yeah. So I'm like walking around and then I realized that I don't know how to get back where I was. Oh. And, um, I found a block parent. Oh yeah. And I went there and I actually got back to the right place because of the block parent. Do you remember block parents? Oh, yeah. My parents were block parents. Yeah. So maybe you can ex- <clears throat> maybe you can explain it better than me then. Oh, I don't know if I can explain it better than you. I don't have a very fond, rec- like, uh, a strong memory of it. But sir, you would sign on kind of to being a block parent, if I remember correctly. And, but I remember... You get a plastic sign that you put yep. in your house window um, facing out. And anybody that, any kid that ever got lost, anybody that needed help, they could come to a block parent and feel safe that these people were going to help them. Yep. Yeah, I think the sign was blue, right? Was it? I. I can't remember, actually. I was thinking red, but I don't know. Oh, man. No, it was definitely red. (laughs) (laughs) But it looked exactly, the actual symbol on the sign looked exactly like I remembered it. Yeah. It's a kid. Um, Yeah, and that system would have really worked. However, I believe the block parent program no longer exists, and... I don't know for sure, but I feel like it's because there's so many bad things that can also happen Yeah. from that system as well. But like you said, like, I think you did have to get some sort of screening at, at the very least um, to be approved to be a block parent from the government. So. Yeah, I would hope so anyway, because you're, you're not wrong. And even thinking about it, <clears throat> excuse me, just briefly, I was like, oh man. People were a lot more trusting then because that could go in so many different directions with the wrong people. Yeah. Nowadays. Yeah, so for people that aren't 40 like us, basically in a (laughs) nutshell, a block parent is a sign that most kids were taught about to look for in a window of somebody's house. And it's like a kid hanging onto someone's hand and it says block parent. And, um, if you're lost or something bad is happening, you were invited to knock on their door and ask for help. Yeah. Right. I know for me, the one time I needed it in the most non-threatening town in Alberta, um, (laughs) where everybody, the person I knocked on the door probably even knew who I was immediately because (laughs) there's like 25 people. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. But it worked for me that time. Right. But. Yeah, that's really awesome. Like you said, um, 
we were a little bit more trusting. Like, I think children in general, obviously, are fairly trusting. Oh, yeah. Because I don't remember being scared to knock on that door or go right into that person's house. Yeah. I think, though, it was also very much taught and told to us that that's safe. Like, that's what you do. Yeah. The second you see one of those signs, if you're in trouble, that's where you go. Yeah. Anyways, I think that is it for this episode. All right, guys. Well, I guess that pretty much wraps up this week's episode. Um, oh, before we go, we'll mention our favorite podcast, Little Nerdy. Oh, yeah. Um, they're a really good podcast. Owen and Michelle host. And they talk about, like, nerd and geek culture mm-hmm. um they do their debate without hate once a month on a friday yep they release a new episode every tuesday yeah and they talk about video games movies board games mm-hmm. and everything else under the sun yeah so yeah check them out um check out their facebook page as well and drop them a line say hi and while you're at it drop us a line and say hi <laughs> all right anyway guys thanks for listening and we hope to have you back next monday for some podcast, podcast and chill